You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. suffered and died for you on the cross. The cross is essential to us. The cross is paramount to our Christianity. It's paramount to what we believe. And you need to stop and survey the wondrous cross. You need to look at it and let it sink deep into your hearts and realize that if you were the only one left in the world, Jesus would still go up on that cross and die for you. He still would have gone through the exact same things for you. How do you see the cross? While most have good intentions, when we see the cross on every piece of jewelry, poster, photos, on Christian Instagram pages, it can desensitize us to its real meaning. Today, Pastor Dave will bring us back to the reality and show us the cross's deep and serious truth. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 19 as he continues his message, No Greater Love. same name that he was arrested by in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus of Nazareth. And he also wrote what is said to be his crime. What's his crime? He said he was king of the Jews. So that was his crime. Even in his death, even in his death, Jesus is identified with the humble, obscure, and despised city of Nazareth. Even in his death, Jesus of Nazareth. And even as his death, Jesus is recognized as a king. And what's interesting to me is that kings of the world take their thrones when someone else dies. When their father dies or someone in the line dies, they take that throne. But Jesus was proclaimed as king to the whole world by his own death. The title also showed proper justification of a sinless nature of Jesus. Criminals were on either side. Their crimes listed. Jesus has simply described who he was. This didn't sit well with the religious leaders. Look at verses 20 and 21. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Do not write this. What's wrong with you? To many of the Jews that read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, so all could understand it. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. This description of Jesus was true, but the religious leaders could not handle the truth. They never could handle the truth. They didn't believe the truth about Jesus Christ. They rejected him from day one, and they reject him all the way to the cross, even while he was hanging there, asking the Father to forgive them. They continued to reject him. They continued. These pompous men would not believe. Instead, they suppressed the truth. They suppressed the truth about Jesus and held anyone who did believe in him in content and threw him out of the synagogue. And this thought came to me. This is an obscure thought. But hatred which is brought on by prejudice is a terrible thing. Hatred which is brought on by prejudice is a terrible, terrible thing. 
Listen to what Guzik says about this. Quote, the religious leaders objected to Pilate's title. They felt it was false because they did not believe that Jesus was the king of the Jews. And then they also believed it was demeaning because it showed Rome's power to humiliate and torture even the king of the Jews. Interesting thought there. Finally, Jesus is hanging on a cross. And finally, Pilate steps up. Finally, Pilate has something to say. In verse 22, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. (laughs) Thanks, Pilate. About time. About time you stood up to these guys. A little late, don't you think? These guys bullied you into getting Jesus crucified, but now you're saying, I won't change what I've written. I won't change it. Now, I thought this was pretty cool of Pilate. I thought this was pretty cool that he finally stood up to these guys when I found out that it was against Roman law to change a sentence once it was pronounced. The sentence was he was king of the Jews. He couldn't change that. So he couldn't take it down if he wanted to. The inscription was the sentence. And when you get to verse 23 and 24, we see the continuation of Jesus' humility. And we see another fulfillment of prophecy. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things." The soldiers are doing their job. They're not being paid. It was customary in that time to take the objects that belonged to those who were crucified. They take them and they divide them up. It's kind of like their spoils, if you will. So they divided up all of Jesus' clothing. He didn't have much. It said four pieces, probably his sandals, maybe a turban. They don't know if we know Jesus wore a turban or not. We don't know what he wore. But they divided it in four pieces. The only thing of value that Jesus had was this beautiful tunic. We would call it a robe. This beautiful, seamless robe. Exodus 28 tells us that the high priest was the only one that wore a seamless garment. So again, you have a picture of Jesus as our high priest. So not being able to tear it, they cast lots. In other words, they threw dice. And the winner got it. This fulfilled Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. When we survey the wondrous cross of Jesus Christ, when we look at the cross on which the Prince of Glory suffered and died, we survey a topic of enormous significance. Enormous significance. Think about it. Please, take this into consideration. Without the cross, there is no Christianity. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no eternal life, no hope for the future, and no power in the present life. The cross is more than a symbol to be worn around your neck. It is the central reality of the Christian faith. It is also what makes Christianity unique. No other major religion do you have anything like this story. A God who became man and was put to death and then rose from the dead. Only in Christianity do you have God taking on the form of full humanity, being born an infant, living in adulthood, and then executed as a criminal and buried, only to resurrect it bodily three days later. Who can imagine such a thing? 
Who could dream up a story like this? Many people find it preposterous. Paul, when writing to the Corinthian church, spoke about this. He spoke about this in chapter 1, verse 18. He writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Then down to 22 through 25. For the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. For there are those who are called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross defines Christianity. The cross defines Christianity. It's what distinguishes our faith from every other belief system on the planet. To unpack the meaning of the cross in any comprehensive way would take us a lifetime. It would take us a lifetime to delve into all the facts about the cross. But I've taken one thing about the cross the Lord put upon our heart that I want to focus on for the rest of my time. One fact about our faith which is clearly revealed by the cross of Jesus Christ and that is the love of God. The love of God is revealed by the cross. Bible teaches us that the cross is the supreme revelation of God's love for us. You know the quote, Romans 5 verse 8 simply says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself today, when did God start loving me? When did God start looking down upon me and start loving me? When you surrendered your life to Jesus? When you raised your hand and came forward? When you said the sinner's prayer? After you said that, did God look down and go, oh, isn't that sweet? I think I'll accept you now. I'm going to love you now. No. No. God loved you and demonstrated that love towards you when he sent his dear son to the cross and he died for you. That was a clear demonstration of his love. He died for the ungodly. And because he died for the ungodly state, which is us, I have no place to boast. What can I boast in? Paul says, I don't boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Therein is my boast. Now I'm boasting about me. I'm boasting about him. He died. I was supposed to, but he died. The Lord died for me. Then we say, well, the Lord died for me because I was doing my best. He knew I was trying hard. He knew I was a good guy. He knew I had potential. Yes. No. No, the grace of God is complete. Christ died for me. Christ died for you when you were a sinner. When you were a sinner, when you were in an ungodly state, God loved you. God loved you. And he doesn't love you any less now or any more, I might add, if you've accepted him. God's love is perfect and pure and never changes. I am the Lord. I do not change. John, in his first epistle, writes these poignant words. 
in chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this propitiation is a big word. It has the idea that sacrifice turns away his wrath. Sacrifice turns away the wrath of God. God rightly regarded us, which were apart from him, as worthy targets of our judgment. If you're apart from God, you are a worthy target of his judgment. We were rebels. We were his enemies, even if we didn't know it. But on the cross, Christ took our punishment and our sin that we deserved. His sacrifice turned away the judgment that we would receive. We easily think of how this shows the love of Jesus, but John says, no, it shows the love of God. It shows the love of the Father. It's interesting. I don't know about you, but how many times in your mind do you imagine God is disgusted with you or disappointed with you or discouraged with you? How many times did you go about and go, well, you know, I really blew it this time. We just can't imagine God having negative thoughts towards us, but we do. We think about it all the time. See, God manifested his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And it was this manifestation of God's love towards us because he sent his only begotten son into the world. So here's God manifesting his love through a cross, through a man-made article, through something so foul, so demeaning, so cruel, so heinous, that we would think it's stupid, it's foolish. But God does that to confound you, to make you think about it. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to fellowship with you. He desired fellowship with you. He desired to be your father. He desired to have fellowship with you, to walk with you, to talk with you, to to be with you, to guide you, and to lead you. He desired that. He wanted that from the foundations before the foundations of the world. And so he sent his son to die in your place. Because it had to be a sacrifice. It had to be a sacrifice. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just an act of love. Jesus' death on the cross defines love. It defines what love is. His substitutionary death is the ultimate example of what love means. And then Jesus says to others, you want to follow me? Love that same way. You want to follow me? Love that same way. How much does God love you? Isaiah 49, 16 says that you are inscribed on the palms of his hands. Those, the nails in his hands, the nail in his feet. Tell me how much you love me. The thorns on your brow, tell me how. You bore so much shame to love me. Nothing, nothing demonstrates the love of God more perfectly or more powerfully than the cross. You will never find another thing that demonstrates the love of God more perfectly than the cross. Very interesting, because when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus, the Ephesians, he writes this beautiful time in chapter 3, In verse 14 through 21, I'm going to read the entire verses, okay? So bear with me here. 
Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to his riches and his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer. God loves you so much. And my prayer for you today is that you would know the depth of God's love. You would know the length of God's love. You would know the height of God's love. You could fathom it and you could look at it and guess what it is. You would explore his heights. If you could only see the length, the length to which God was willing to go to save you. If you could only see the depths, the depths that Christ went through to save you, to redeem you. If you could only see the heights that God wants to bring you and take you to. Glory of God that has for you. If you could only know and to comprehend that which is beyond knowledge, Paul says, you can't. Because it's uncomprehendable. Our mind doesn't go that way. Our mind doesn't move that way. To understand these dimensions, we must come to the cross. We must go to the cross. The love of Jesus Christ has with. It's as wide as the world. For God so loved the world. The love of Jesus Christ has length. How long is it? It's this long. His love is this long. His arms stretched out wide to die. The love of Christ is deep. It's deeper than any ocean. The love of Christ is high. It's higher than any mountain. It's high enough to take us to heaven. His love has no bounds. Guzik said one more time, the love of Jesus Christ is wide enough to include every person, long enough to last for an eternity, deep enough to reach the worst of sinners, and high enough to take us to heaven. Praise God. What's the application? How do we apply now what we've just read? Back in John 4, in verse 11, John writes this after he wrote all these things about love. He said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's the application. We're exhorted in Scripture after Scripture after Scripture to follow Christ in forgiveness, to follow his example of love. And that we are to love as he loved us. And we're to forgive as he forgave us. In Ephesians again, 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. What should my measurement of forgiveness be? Our measurement for forgiveness should be God's forgiveness. Should be Jesus' forgiveness. Big order. Tall task. And yet, that is what God requires of us. But he has not left you as orphans. He has not left you alone and helpless. For he has given you the Holy Spirit. He has given you his spirit of truth to help you and to lead you and to guide you into exactly what God wants for you. To help you understand the depth, the width, the length, and the breadth of Christ. He's given you that Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit. God in you, the hope of glory. The only hope of glory, may I add. You can be filled to overflowing, to know the Spirit of God because the love of God that he has given me 
This is love. Not that my love for God is important, but it's God's love for me. It's his love for me that's premier in my life. His love for me. Now, I think it's important that we tell God we love him. Because we experience his love on a daily basis, minute to my minute, hour by hour, day by day. We experience his love. For me to take my next breath is his love. God's love for me in sending his son to take away my sins, to die for my guilt that his righteousness might be propitiated. His righteousness might be fulfilled because by accepting Jesus Christ, I've obeyed the law of God. I've obeyed the law of God because on the cross it was finished. It was done. If God so loved me, then I ought to love one another. We need to love each other. And this is what Jesus commanded. He commanded that we love one another and he tags it, as I have loved you. This is how Jesus has loved us. Greater man hath no love than this, than they lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is commanding us today, and he uses the example of the cross. And you look at the cross. His love ran red. Oh, I get chills when we sing that song. His love ran red. Beautiful song about the wondrous cross. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When you look at the cross... You need to realize how much Jesus and God gave for you. All. They gave every single thing they had. God gave you. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave you his son, his only son. And put him on a cross. Jesus suffered and died for you. On the cross. The cross is essential to us. The cross is paramount to our Christianity. It's paramount to what we believe. And you need to stop and survey the wondrous cross. You need to look at it and let it sink deep into your hearts and realize that if you were the only one left in the world, Jesus would still go up on that cross and die for you. He still would have gone through the exact same things for you. I think we take it too glibly sometimes. We really need to look at it and study it for what it is. Folks, it wasn't a picnic up there. It was the most horrendous thing that you could ever imagine. But it was the greatest act of love ever imagined as well. You are a sure The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.